So today we're beginning a new series, and I'm going to be talking um, over the next stretch of Sundays about Christianity. And I know you're looking at that word, Christianity. You're probably saying to yourself, don't we do that every Sunday? Don't we come and talk about Christianity every Sunday? Well, we do, but I'm planning to talk about Christianity, the Christian faith, in a, in a way that I've never really done before. So I'm trying to pull this together and I, and I really feel that this, again, I feel that this is what God wants me to do. So um, I'm going to talk about our faith in a way that I haven't before. And my hope, again, like I did in that sacrament series, is that the Holy Spirit would refresh us, or maybe the Holy Spirit will awaken us if it's needed, um, but certainly that the Holy Spirit will cause us to be astonished by this faith, this ancient faith, by, by the paradoxes that are at the heart of the Christian faith. By the beauty of Christian truth. That's my, that's my prayer, that the Holy Spirit would do that. So we're going to be going back. Um, we're going to be going back in history to some of what the early church were doing. Some of, what the early, some of the practices, some of the things that the early church were writing. Some of the, the, the things that were taking shape in that early church. And I'm convinced that this is becoming, historical Christianity is becoming more and more and more important because we're living in a world today that is, that is leaving that behind, that is saying that is no longer relevant. And so I'm going to be coming back to say, what is it that we need to be tethered to? What is it that we need to be tied to? Because we all know that the world is a confusing place. And, and even more so these days. If we look around, we find things that are just like, what's going on? You know, we've always had problems on the planet. We've, we've always had geopolitical tensions. We've, we've always had the global economy's always, you know, it's had its, had its ups and downs. It's, it's been precarious at times. We, we ha we've had natural disasters. And, and, and those things very often combine to disturb the planet, right? They create instability. They create anxiety. But added to that, the world has become more secular and more humanistic than it's ever been. We live, we are living in a Western culture, and it's a culture that believes increasingly that we don't need a God. That we are beyond religion. That we are we're post-truth. We're living in a generation that believes Christian teaching is narrow. It's outdated. When, people, when, you, when you want to talk about Scripture and open this book, people go, what are you looking at that for? That has no relevance to the time that we're living in. That's the view of the generation largely that we, that we live in. And in fact, there are many Christians, and I'm just going to do it in inverted commas here, Christians. There are many Christians within this generation who have drifted from truly living out a faith in, in Jesus and there are several reasons for that. People have, I know plenty of folk who have been disillusioned because of stuff that's happened. Or they get confused about what is true. Uh, they don't know who to trust sometimes. But I think largely, in many cases, um, the reason why many Christians are not living out as their lives as true followers of Jesus is because the pull of the culture has been too strong for them to resist. They are, to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.14, they're like little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. 
If you go and read that passage in Ephesians 4, Paul is actually speaking there about the importance of equipping believers for the work of ministry. He's writing there about how we build up the church. And he says, but some folk are just blown away. They're here, there, and everywhere. And, and, and so we are finding today, and I don't know if this is true of you, but I, I certainly see it when I engage with people. There are a lot of people who are just not excited about Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is like, and there are a lot of Christians who are bored and uninterested. They, they find church dull, so there's no uh, real engagement. And for many, there's not much interest to even come to attend. I, mean, I know some people who have been through times in their life Difficult times where they've pleaded with God, where they've been on their knees and they've needed God to intervene in that situation. And God has answered those prayers or God's opened a door for them. And then those very same people who pleaded with God, who, who sought God, have over time just become bored with His blessings. And so I'm really praying that during this series of messages that the Holy Spirit is going to Renew is going to thrill us to the truth about God, to the truth about our world, to the truth about who we are and the importance of our flourishing. Because what's ultimately at stake here is a public truth claim. This is what's at stake. This is the claim. Let's go to that next slide. He has risen. That's what's at stake over here. He has risen. I don't know how many of you have staked your life on that, that claim. He has, I have. And, and you know something, because I've staked my life on that claim, that he has risen, that means that I have to engage with the world that I live in on the basis of that Christian truth. He has risen. If you've staked your life on that claim, then, then you have to engage with the world in the same way. On the same basis. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we just come before you this morning as a group of people who are living in a time that is increasingly precarious. We're living with people, Lord, that um, have no interest in who you are. We participate in churches, Lord, where many so-called Christians don't really have a love for you. They've abandoned, they've abandoned their first love. Lord, would you work in our hearts this morning? Would you forgive us if we have departed from where you would like to see us? Would you come and move in our hearts? Would you come and cause a refreshing? Would you pour out your spirit, God, in such a way that, that, it, that, it, that, we can, that it'll be unmistakable that you are at work? And so, God, we just pray that you would, you would just use our time together this morning to encourage us, to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I've, I've been reading this book. Um, here's my water. Let's just pop this next slide up, Glenn. Uh, a, a, the book is called The Thrill of Orthodoxy by a guy whose name is Trevin Wax. The very first sentence, the opening sentence of the book is, are these words. He writes, he says, The church faces her biggest challenge... Not when new errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. 
I, I thought this was, what, a, what a sentence. The church faces her biggest challenge when old truths no longer, wow. I have to hop on this today <laughs> because it's bugging me. There are Christians, many, 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 many Christians who do not take following Jesus seriously. They don't believe the teachings of Jesus to be the literal truth that it is. They don't see the commandments of Jesus as worth obeying. Many folk don't even pick this book up to even read it. And so they actually are scripturally illiterate. Um, they may know a few verses because on Facebook everybody loves that key verse. And, that's the, and then they don't even know the context of that verse in scripture. So really it's like grasping at straws. And I'll just pop that in here. And so you easily are susceptible to a path of error. When you don't really know what the context is and what it, what, what, what's going on in the bigger picture. But, but there are a lot of folk who call themselves Christians who um, not, they're not participating in advancing the kingdom of God. Not, never mind in their own lives, but, but, but even in the world, they just, well, it's, it's not important. And so <laughs> many people have just dropped out of church. Our church has been going for two and a half years now, and I know from the beginning I can see just dropped out. I'm sure they would still say that they're Christians, but I, I, I guess they're just not following Jesus. And it just puzzles me why we so eas easily lose our wonder at truths that have informed and inspired Christians for centuries. How come do we lose our sense of astonishment with these ancient truths? What are the what's going on? What are the forces at work? You know, what's happening in our world? What's going on in our churches? What's going on in us that would diminish our devotion in this way? I, I think there are three big challenges over here. Let's just get this next slide here. Yeah. I think there are three issues that, that we're faced with today. The first is the chaos of our culture. There's a lot of stuff going down in our culture that, that's just chaotic. And we can't always make head or tail of it. I also think there's a lot of confusion in our churches. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in churches that's just causing increased confusion. And the third thing I think over here is that today we just have a lot of folk who have become complacent. Christian complacency. You know, we, we're living in a time where there is increased unsettledness and anxiety. We live in a time, if we just think about our, our culture for a moment, we, we live our lives via screens and streams and, and apps and phones. And so our relationships are increasingly digital. We are inundated by information and disinformation. And often we don't know whose views and opinions are credible. Right? We don't know who we can trust. I just, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Debbie showed me a text message that she got yesterday. I don't know if you've had one of these um, text messages or emails where these guys are using technology to scam people out of their money or, or, or their identity. Yeah? And so you get this message, and I can see heads nodding because they want you to engage in some way. They, don't want, well, they want you to click on a link so that they can catch you, right? The, the, the whole phishing deal. And... Just in, in, the, in the last kind of m couple of months, I mean, 
Anybody heard of ChatGPT? I'm sure if you're a teacher, you're nodding your head, right? ChatGPT, we have this whole new world of artificial intelligence coming our way. And a lot of us are not prepared for it. We don't even know. People are going, what? You know, you know I've spoken to a few teachers recently <laughs> who've told me that they have to find ways to, 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 because they get the work from the student and they're going, this can't be you. But they have to now go and prove that this is not the student's work, that this has been done by artificial intelligence. Chat GPT, I don't even know all of these apps and stuff. Um, and so I think some teachers are using AI to tell whether this has been created by AI. But now the students have got even cleverer because there's other apps that have come out that will take the work that AI has produced and then they will put it into that AI application which will then redo the work so that it makes it look like it's yours. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. And, and suddenly, things are not the same. Suddenly. Technology is changing things more quickly than we can imagine. You know, I've always known technology, but it's moving at lightning speed. And it's changing things radically. If you think about the world of government and politics, again, if we just begin to think about the chaos of the culture we're living in. I mean, who trusts a politician? Have we ever been able to trust a politician? You know, they promise you the world just to get your vote and then they get into power and they go off and do the exact opposite of what they promised you they would do. You know, in Australia this year, your voice will say yes or no to another voice. But whose voice are you going to listen to to make a decision? Who are you going to believe? Because I'm telling you in the months ahead, this is going to be a very divisive issue in Australia. I come from a part of the world where, where government uses taxation as a cover to steal people's money. That's the truth. They take all the money they can get and very little of that finds its way back for any benefit to, to the people. And so we're living in a world that is increasingly uh, polarized. There's political polarization. We're living in this, a world where all of these different ideologies uh, are kind of being shoved upon us. And a lot of it is bringing division and it's leading to disaster and ultimately it leads to war. And for Christians... The culture is becoming increasingly important because this sense of disorientation is magnified by the shifting moral landscape. Assumptions that were shared by nearly everyone just a few decades ago are suddenly unacceptable. We're being told to um, embrace so-called inclusion. Or diversity. We're being told to use pronouns to identify what we are. We're being told that marriage is outdated. We're being told that marriage is no longer what it once was. We're being told that the sexualization of our children is the right thing to do. And woe, woe, woe to anyone who has a different view. And so the long-held beliefs and, and values that have been drawn from this ancient faith, from Christian doctrine, from Scripture, from the teachings of Jesus, those long-held beliefs and values are now regarded as extreme. In fact, this might be prophetic here this morning. I think the days are numbered for churches 
to be able to conduct their affairs according to traditional Christian beliefs and practices. I think the days are numbered, especially when it comes to the issues of sexuality and gender. I think the days are numbered where we are not going to be having government interference in what is taught and what is said. And so what, what we're beginning to see is fewer and fewer people identifying with a religious tradition. And, and those that do are, are, are landing up further and further and further outside of the mainstream in which we live. The Apostle John, writing to the church at Ephesus, in Revelation 2 verse 4, he, said, he wrote this, he said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. In our lifetime, the danger of abandoning our first love comes through the pressures of a society where Christianity is not the norm. The danger of abandoning our first love comes from the pressures of living in a society where common Christian beliefs and morals no longer seem normal. In fact, we have a world that look at it and they regard it with suspicion. And so just, again, in this, this culture thing, the Christianity is caught up in a, in a whirlwind of change. And many Christians, because they, they don't know this, they're not tethered to something, they're in that whirlwind. They're being tossed to and fro. And, and, and all of this is playing out in our churches. And so there's confusion in our churches. Congregations and denominations are in conflict. Many are falling apart because of the clash between doctrine and, and culture. I don't know how many of you, I've certainly been watching with interest the turmoil that's been going on in the Church of England and the, and the Anglican Communion over same-sex marriage in the, in, the, in the last couple of months. It's, 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 it's actually busy splitting right now because of the affirmation of homosexuality and bisexuality and transsexuality. And, and it's not only the Anglican Church where that turmoil is, it's, it's happening in many, many other churches. In addition to that, you know, you look around and you see these churches where they, they, they get caught up in sex scandals. There's abuse, there's cover-ups, abusive leadership patterns. I'm sure all of us this morning could name some well-known pastor, some well-known church leader who at one time was trusted, admired as being a great faith leader. And now you're going, what on earth, what on earth has happened? And the saddest thing because of all this turmoil is that People have just pushed back. Breaks my heart. They've walked away from God. A lot of people who were once faithfully involved in the life of the church, this entity where Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, people have just slipped away. And you know, even in the church, where so many people come together, to worship regularly, there are a lot of people who come and they sit in a church service and their hearts are unstirred. The, the truth that we confess, the truth that we believe, just doesn't stir hearts. And I think the reason is because so many Christians have become complacent. And if you're complacent, you're less likely to invite other people to believe the good news. And so it's, it's, it's a missionless faith, <laughs> Compla Christian complacency. You know, here's the thing about complacency. Um, it, it causes compartmentalization. Christian com 
Christian complacency causes compartmentalization. What I mean by that is it's a separation of Christian truth from how we live our life from Monday to Saturday. It's a separation of Christian truth where we come to a church on Sunday, we hear some stuff, but then Monday through to Saturday, we live like it has no bearing on our lives. Christianity just becomes one aspect of our busy lives, but it doesn't form part of who we are and how we live. Complacent Christianity. And so what's missing is a sense of mission that requires obedience to a king. And so because there's no obedience to a king, we shy away from any level of opposition. We don't rebel against the rebellion of the world in which we live. We don't give witness to the rule and reign of the risen Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. <sighs> I've, I've like, this is bugging me so big. I'm going, why? Why? I've got so many why questions around this. That's why I loved what Eugene shared about two weeks ago when he spoke about revival and revolution. Because I long to see the Christianity that I saw growing up as a young boy. I, I don't know what, if, if I was just in a cocoon or an or a, or a enclosed environment, but, but what I saw when I looked at God and when I looked at the church and what was happening around me was, was phenomenal. I, I saw people get radically saved, man. People just like... Jesus, just like everything for Jesus, fired up for Jesus. I, I grew up seeing people so overwhelmed, so overcome by the Holy Spirit that they just left what they were doing, changed the course of their life, went to start a church, went into missions. <laughs> told myself, do not cry, but it hurts me because I'm going, God, what is going on? Because church has become hard. We're a new church. We want to grow this church and build this church. It's difficult. I know that there are a lot of folk engaged, but there are still so many who are just kind of on the per periphery. And I'm going, why, God? Touch their hearts. Do something. What are you going to do through this church renew? I grew up watching people just give of the resources and energy and time and say, this is important, man. And they, and, and they wanted to build churches, grow churches, plant churches. I, I, I know some people today who um, sold all their possessions and went off to Bible school and went to get some training and now they're in ministry in different parts of the world. I know those people. <laughs> Have you ever been in a church gathering where, and, and this is what I pray for our church, so if you don't like this, then you probably need to find another church. But I... I, I, I have you ever been in a church gathering where the Holy Spirit is so welcomed, where the people are so open and so hungry and so embracing and so receptive? Have you ever been in a church service where, like that where God just comes and moves powerfully and people's hands are raised? They don't care. I'm raising my hands. I'm not standing here like I'm raising my hands because I'm here to worship the risen Lord. This has bearing on my life. He has risen. Hey, have you ever been in that environment, you know, where people are worshiping with tears flowing out of their, their eyes, where, where they're on their knees in prayer, man, with the gifts of the Spirit in operation? Who brings their Bible to church these days? Not so many people, but I lived in a, in a day and age where people had pens and were like underlining and highlighting and making notes. People being healed. I, amen. I, I long, I long to see that level of, Revival and revolution again. But I, I think 
that part of the reason we're not seeing it is because people have lost their wonder at the glory of the truth and the goodness of the Christian faith. Folk, we have a mission. We have a holy calling from God. You, you might not realize it this morning, but let me remind you, God brought renew into being. He used a few faithful people who said, okay, let's try something, let's do it. But God brought this church into being. And you know, when, we didn't, when, we, when we started, we didn't even have a name. We were calling ourselves New Church because we were new. And then that kind of moved to become Renew. And even the name. Renew. I think God was behind that. Because God, I'm convinced, wants us to live into that name. If you think about renewal, if, if there's going to be renewal, then we're going to have to get back to the truth. The truth that is reliable, that is sturdy. When the world that we're living in is shaky and is in turmoil. We've got to be rooted and grounded in this truth. Our lives have got to be expressed out of this truth. When I talk about the truth, I'm talking here about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The announcement that Jesus, the Son of God, that God came to earth, in, became incarnate, lived a perfect life, died a death on, the, on a cross to destroy every evil, including our sin, and he rose triumphantly from the grave to, to launch God's new creation, <laughs> to launch this movement of change in the world, to say, pray that the kingdom would break in now because it's coming. And we're supposed to exalt him as King of kings and Lord of lords because of this message. Renewal means that we, we have to be committed to repentance. Live a life of repentance. That means change. We actually have to mourn. We have to come to a place of mourning over our own brokenness and our own sin. Our behavior patterns, our speech patterns, our involvement, our engagement with the kingdom. We've got to mourn over that. We've got to trade our agenda and say, Lord, no longer my things, but your things. Lord, what is your plan? What do you want me to be doing? Where do you want me to be involved? What do you want me to be doing for the sake of your kingdom here on earth? Renewal means a life of faith. Trusting in Jesus. Nobody gets it right all the time. Nobody's perfect. But we've got to trust in Jesus for an ongoing work of, of salvation, of, of a transformation in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Renewal means a dependence on the gift that every believer has been given. The Holy Spirit. Every day, just to be saying, God, fill me again. Just to be, I want to be open to your work, to your truth. I want my life to be in you. I want to be able to worship you in freedom. And where, where the Spirit is, there is liberty. And so what we're going to do in this series is, is we're going to come back to some of these time-tested foundational truths. Because my prayer is that they would refresh and satisfy and that we would find in these truths that, they are, that they're consistent with Scripture, that consistent with what Christians have agreed on for centuries. And so we're going to go back to these foundational places of doctrine, Scripture, and, and right belief. Because, folk, we need to be a courageous church. There's no doubt about it. We have to be a courageous church. We actually have to be awake to the beauty, to the majesty of Christianity.
We've got to say, I want to be committed to believing the right thing, man. Let me know what the right thing is. To join our voices, really, with the apostles of 2,000 years ago to the message that Jesus rose again, which in the power of the Holy Spirit still resonates today. And so what I've done this morning, that's just the introduction, by the way. I've called this message, I Believe. At Renew, we have a statement of faith. Um, it's, a, it's a statement of belief. And that statement of faith is actually just a number of statements which kind of outline what we believe to be true about God, what we believe to be true about a Christian faith. If most churches have a statement of faith. Most organizations have some kind of statement of what they believe or what they hold dear, a mission statement, whatever. Um, and so this is, this is nothing new. But the early church also, guided by the Holy Spirit, we can go to the Glen. Um, began to uh, write things down from what they'd heard from the apostles, what Jesus had taught. And so you have these ancient texts, like the Didache. Anybody ever heard of the Didache? You should go Google it. The Didache. And, and they began to hammer out these creeds. And they were doing that at, this, at the very same time that the New Testament books were being written. The New Testament letters, the epistles. The Gospels. And the reason why all of this was going on was so that it would help the church speak truthfully about God. And I'm serious. I've, I've got into the Didache a little bit recently. Um, it's not actually that long. You probably read it in less than half an hour if you're a slow reader. Um, and you can find this online. It's worth a, worth a read if you can find it. It's, it's one of the earliest Christian documents which provides practical instruction to Christians. And if you go back in time, you'll find that those early Christians, many of them came either out of the Jewish faith or they came out of the paganism of the Roman Empire. And so a lot of that stuff was hard built, hard wired into them. And so this, this teaching, that's what, it's, that's what the Didache means. It means the teaching or the teaching of the 12 apostles was put in place to help those early Christians be able to articulate what they, what they believed in. It was really helpful. Again, remember that the New Testament was only actually f- kind of put together in the 4th century. But these writings involved into creeds like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and they were all done to summarize the Christian faith. And when you read these things, that you'll find that they resonate with Scripture, that they provide theological truth. That they give witness to the trustworthiness of the New Testament. That they affirm the teachings of Jesus. And we've also got writings from other ancient church leaders. And many of those church leaders were actually discipled by the apostles. Remember Jesus told the disciples, he said, go and make disciples. And they became disciples and apostles and they discipled by teachings, taking the teachings of Jesus and teaching others. This is the first harvest. This is the first crop. People like Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp were like the first kind of disciples. And you know, when it comes to some of these creeds, these, these creeds of our faith, we find them even in the Bible itself. Like this one in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through to 9. The text says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is something that the, um, the Jewish people would learn from a very young age. They would memorize this text. It was known as the Shema. And they would recite it often because this was their creed. This is what they believed as a people. Another one is from the New Testament that we just recited a couple of moments again from the book, uh, ago from the book of Philippians where Paul tells the Philippians what to believe. He gives the Philippians something short that they could easily remember as they then articulated to others what they believed. That's why it became a hymn that they used to sing. They'd get it in here. Be in the morning. I don't know if they had showers in those days, but they'd be bathing and singing the hymn. So from Scripture and consistent with Scripture, these creeds and these ancient church writings, they explain, they remind, and they simplify the essentials or the non-negotiables of our faith. And as a church, renew affirms these great Christian creeds. One of them is the Apostles' Creed. We've recited these words together, but I'm going to read them again to you. The Apostles' The Apostles' Creed goes this way, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that's the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The legend behind this creed is that they say that in the days after the ascension of Jesus, the 12 apostles actually each wrote a line, which became the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if you can prove it. But the sentiment behind it is that what the apostles were teaching is in the creed. Every, every portion is meant to reflect biblical and apostolic accuracy. We do know that it became a concrete document by the year 200, which means that some of the, this creed had to have been around for a period longer than that. And you know what they would use this creed for, the Apostles' Creed? For people who were being baptized. They were to memorize and recite this creed at baptism. I think we should start doing that again. Yeah. But I want to focus, just in the time that we have left, on two words, the first two words of this creed. I believe. Who's the I speaking in this text? The I is, is quite simply anyone and everyone who had, adheres to the Christian faith. But, but more than that, it's every single person who has adhered to the Christian faith in the past. And so when we repeat this creed, we, um, when, we, when we express what we believe... We're saying it alongside centuries of other Christians who have said the same things as well. 
And, th- and that's quite awesome. Th- that means there's a strength in numbers there that is undeniable. And these words, even though I might say them on my own, they have a huge influence because of the numbers of people, both path, past and present, who have affirmed and affirmed them. And so it makes what we believe about God and how we are to live the Christian faith super significant. Super significant in a world that is trying to come up with its own version of truth. It's important for a Christian to understand what the basics of Christianity are are all about. This is not about praying a salvation prayer and getting a ticket to go to heaven one day. You're on the wrong path if that's what you believe. This is way more than that. And so these words have meaning. They're something firm that we can hold on to. Which brings us to the second word over here. And the second word is, is, is believe. I believe. Faith is important, isn't it? Who has faith? Yeah? Belief is, is important. I mean, you know, you, you, we live our lives having faith and believing certain things. You know, um, every living human being, there are certain things we just have. You know, I wake up in the morning and drink my coffee in faith that it's going to give me a boost. <laughs> open up I'm ready to go give me that coffee before that I can't function that's my faith in coffee right I mean I, 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 I get in my car in the morning and um, I have faith to believe that that every other driver on the road is semi-responsible so I don't have an accident yeah so I have faith that they know how to drive sometimes my faith gets diminished but but that's my faith I, I have faith that when I go and eat food at a restaurant or even if I eat food in my ho- own home that it's been Prepared properly, so I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get ill. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we. You cook so beautifully, my dear. I, I had you made me such a wonderful meal last night. Fresh fennel and tuna. It was lovely. Um, <laughs> she was inspired. Um, but when it comes to faith and belief, as 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 Christians, it's it's something entirely different. Christian faith gives us purpose. It's, it's the center of everything that we hold dear. Because if we don't have faith, you can't know God. That's all there is to it. Without faith, it's impossible to know God. Faith has to come first. And, and you see that faith has always come first with the people of God who have followed him well. Faith has always come first. Just think of the father of the faith, Abraham. God comes to him and says, pack up all your belongings and move along. Go, I'm telling you, here's where you need to go. Abraham did not really know whether God was trustworthy. He did that in faith. Think about any Christian who comes to put their faith in God and goes and gets baptized. You've got an inkling of who God is. You've got enough, you, know, you know enough to trust him, but... I can tell you now, you can go through the waters of baptism and it might not be years until you actually stand back and say, I've seen the goodness of God in my life. You know, that God really is enough. And so we begin the Christian life with a leap of faith. In fact, faith, I think, is not very far from desperation in the beginning. Like, if <laughs> I've made this step, I come through the waters of baptism, what next? And, and that's not a bad thing, you know, because if you, when you begin with faith, God will show himself to us. He, he will prove himself to us over and over again. And you can speak to many, many Christians who have walked with God for a long period of time and they can say, 
I can point to there and I know that God opened that door. And I can point to there in, and in hindsight I can see God answered that prayer. I can see God protected my children there. I can see God, uh, that's the pattern. And, and, and you didn't know on the journey, you were just walking by faith. Have faith. God, my faith is weak. Don't worry, have faith. Keep trusting me. We just have to believe enough to give him that opportunity. And so Christianity starts with two words. The Christian faith starts with two words. Can you say this morning, I believe. I believe. Because without it, nothing else matters. If we don't, if we don't believe the words that come next in this creed and in Scripture, there's, there's no point in us even standing up on a Sunday and uttering those words. And I just want to quickly say that it's okay if you have doubt because doubt accompanies faith. Doubt is not always the enemy. And so there are going to be seasons of your life when you're going to doubt the things of God and that's okay because that can be an opportunity to grow. That can be an opportunity to learn more about who God is. Right? And in fact, if you've, if you've never doubted in your life, then you're probably not doing enough for the kingdom. But what I want you to understand today more than anything is that Christianity starts with two words. I believe. I believe. When I started out in this message, I said, what's ultimately at stake here is a, a claim of truth that is public, that needs to be made public, that needs to be expressed publicly. And that claim is, he has risen. Jesus has gone before us to show us what is to come for those who believe. Jesus said this in John 6, 47. He said, truly I tell you, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. This is about thousands of years of people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Billions of people over the years who have proclaimed his name in different tongues and in different times and all with one voice proclaiming, I believe. I believe. And so, folk, I hope this, this teaching series over the next couple of weeks is going to awaken us to a fresh appreciation of biblical and historic Christianity because Christianity is not something that gets changed when things change around us. Christianity doesn't sway with every new fashion, with every new fad. It just doesn't. Christianity is something that we can be rooted in because it can sustain us and transform us. And it's an adventure. It's an adventure if you actually bind your heart to something that's so ancient and yet so enduring. You bind your heart to, um, you bind it with faith, you know, to the faith. Because this faith outlasts everything else that's going on. This is about digging down to the bedrock of our faith so that we can stand. Who wants to be a Christian when you don't even know the first thing about Christianity? So let's. Let's in this teaching series shake off the drowsiness, shake off the slumber. Let's join hands with the millions of others across space and time who with boldness and with confidence have said, I believe, I believe. Mm -hmm.